0: Good morning, guys, gals. How are we doing? Oh, that's some of y'all. How are we doing? Good. I'm Scott Weatherford. Welcome to First Baptist Weatherford. We're excited to have uh, the verses with us uh, from Victoria. Leroy, uh, you're supposed to be dead, but you're not. Uh, yeah. About 15 years ago, uh, Leroy was facing some big crisis in his life, and I said to him, Psalm 118, 17, you will not die but live to declare what God has done. So 15 years later, Boom, shakalaka, there he is. Now listen, when you get to heaven, don't be mad at me because you missed all that early, all right? Okay, that's good. So I'm so proud of you guys. Let me just kind of tell you why I'm proud. Last week, 29 new members stepped into the family of First Baptist Church. Isn't that credible? So uh, we're going to introduce some of them to you today and we'll let, help you get to know these folks because, you know, at some point we're going to get so big we don't know who we are. But that's all right. Jesus will know who we are, and it will be all right, okay? Y'all got that? Is everybody cool with that? Yeah. And so here's the second thing. Okay, I need to say, uh, stop, I didn't think I'd ever say this, stop giving to disaster relief. I thought I'd never have to say, ever say stop giving. But you guys have been so generous that we have more than we need. Now, if we need some more, we will ask you again. But, uh, golly, I'm just like a mess. But, uh, <laughs> but you've been incredible. Now, listen, this is crazy. Total giving to the mission offering of the church here as we give every week, every month to kind of, we are the mission, so we give to that. Plus disaster relief. This church has given right at or over $200,000 in the month of September. (laughs) What? Now that's crazy. Either you guys have been holding out on us or just jittering, you know, God's doing something cool. So it's really, 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 really exciting. Uh, Last week with a great spirit of of unity we passed our new bylaws which gives us really sets us up with the structure to really reach people and to do ministry and I'm excited about that. So thank you for your willingness to walk through that. I was so glad that that was thrust upon me as your new pastor but we got it done and I'm relieved. I saw the monkey running down highway 12 okay because he jumped off my back and took off running that way. So Maybe he'll end up in Dripping Springs at Starbucks. But anyway, that's, Monkey is headed that way. So it's all good. So really, uh, yay God for that. So it's been an amazing kind of stretch run. Now, because of your generi- generosity with Disaster Relief, you made a huge difference in the lives of so many people. One of them is a church in Hallisville that because of your giving and because of our partnering with, uh, with churches all over the United States, uh, that that church is being restored. We had a team in this week from this little bitty tiny church in Southern California called Saddleback Church where this no-name pastor named Rick Warren's the pastor. Uh, they sent a team down partnering with us. They've really helped rebuild this church building. Now, there's still work to do- be done. And uh, Scott Tidwell, our pastor of disaster, is right over there. And we're trying to, Scott, get some more teams to go finish the job that Saddleback has started. I love that. You know, we get to finish what Saddleback started. You know, they just didn't finish it. Now little old First Baptist Wimber is going to come clean up their mess. I'll see Rick this week. I'll tell him that. Okay, Rick, I'm always having to go behind you. Clean up your mess. But uh, actually, you've done that. Uh, this team also, because of your gifts and us providing a home in Victoria for disaster relief response, you jumped into a life of a young man who was injured in a football game, uh, partially paralyzed. He's starting to recover feeling now. So, thank God for that in Rafirio. His home was destroyed in the hurricane. It was unlivable, but because you gave, his home has been rebuilt. And because that team did that, the Saddleback team did that. So, uh, yay, God, for that. So, I'm really, really proud of what God's doing in you and for you and through you for his glory. So, we're really just kind of getting started. Now, today, we're continuing the First Life series and probably going to take you on an adventure that is perhaps unexpected. Now, first week in this series, we talked about, and this series has been all about who we really are, why we really exist. We exist for the global glory of God, and we do that by building lives that honor him. That's why we do that. And we're committed to honor God with our lives and to connect with God and each other, uh, connect with God through Jesus Christ, connect with each other in the church, to grow to be like Christ, to serve God by serving others, and by contagiously sharing the love of God in word and deed. That's kind of who we are. And this week, first week we talked about Jesus loves you. Next week we talked about worship and what that is and what that isn't, a life that honors God. And we talked about last week, you belong in a family because a Christian without a church family is a what? You know what? You guys did better in the first service. They went, oh, what is thought Okay, but you guys... Like answered that spiritual orphan, uh, and so this week we're going to be talking about growing to become like Jesus. Now go ahead and take your take the weekend with you notes out because you're going to want to jot some things down. There is a term that's a actually a scientific term called epigenetics. Epigenetics. Now epigenetics. Well, let me just kind of read the definition for you so you know what this is. Epigenetics is the observation of tendencies and mannerisms that are passed down from one generation to another. In other words, you walk just like your father, you twirl your hair just like your mother, you sound just like your grandfather, and it's all because of epigenetics, that we pick up the tendencies that are passed down from the people who are significant and influential in our lives. Now, some scientists believe that it's genetic. You come predisposed to have these tendencies, like you have this tendency to walk like your father, speak like your grandfather, your great-grandfather, uh, things, things like that. Or some think it's a learned behavior. Well, whether or not it's, it's genetically passed down or it's a learned behavior, epigenetics is really real. Now, there's some things, you know, you, you know that. You see your kids and you say, gosh, when you look like that, you look just like your grandfather. Or when you make that move, or when you walk, you look just like your father. Uh, And it's just epigenetics. Guys, you should never say to your wife, you're looking and acting just like your mother right now. You should never say that. Do you know why? Because I've said that. And I've said, you know, Tara, you're looking at me right now like Betty. And Betty was her mother, and she's looking at me right now like (laughs) Betty. And I should never point that out. It's just epigenetics. It's also very awkward now. Everybody's going, okay, he's an idiot. That's right. So. Bar's low here. Anybody's welcome. And so if that's true, then get this. Because we've been adopted into the family of God through Jesus, we should have spiritual epigenetics. We should take on the mannerisms, the characteristics of Jesus, of Jesus. Spiritual epigenetics means that I become like Christ. One of the most intimidating things I know of as a pastor or even as as just a Christian, is that I'm supposed to become like Jesus, that God wants me to become like Jesus. Now, I've been a pastor for about 36 years, and this thought of becoming like Christ has always kind of been kind of bubbling around, but in about the last 15, 20 years, it's really come to light to me. We're really supposed to become like Jesus. Now, I grew up in a church where you're just supposed to have a lot of biblical knowledge. You know, you're supposed to be able to quote scripture and you're supposed to be able to, you know, know the 66 books of the Bible in order, who wrote them and the origins and all that kind of stuff. Now, I want to say something to you. I want you to listen to me very carefully. I don't want you to misquote me. Biblical knowledge without application is trivia. Now, I didn't say biblical knowledge was trivia. I said biblical knowledge without what? Application is trivia because I need to know scripture in order to apply scripture to become like Jesus. Now, I know a lot of trivia. Yes, Pastor of Disaster says he's nodding his head. Amen. Like, for instance, we and our staff t- this week had a discussion about the origins of the croissant. Who needs to know that? The knowledge of the croissant is wasted unless you're ingesting that buttery flakiness and goodness of the croissant. So anybody wants to know the origins of the croissant, you can see Jonathan. He'll be glad to explain that to you. You got that down, Jonathan? Got it cold, okay? Uh, Scott will be able to explain that and the origins of Mayan worship as well. I just made up the last part. Anyway, but that's the whole deal, that we're supposed to take this stuff, what we know, apply it, that we might become like Christ. Now, look at this passage. It's found in Romans. It says this. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that the son might become firstborn among many brethren. Now, in Romans, that's eight twenty-nine. In 28, it says this. God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And for God knew his people in advance. So he chose to become like a son so he might be firstborn among many brethren. In other words, God causes everything in your life to make you become like Christ. Now, a few years back, Tara and I, uh, we showed up at a friend's father's funeral. He, he didn't know we were coming. Um, we were living up in Alabama at the time. He was uh, in Northwest Florida, where I grew up, Panhandle, Florida, or LA, Lower Alabama. So I said, I grew up in L.A., lower Alabama. And uh, it was funnier when I rehearsed it. But um, like I rehearse anything. Anyway, we went to that funeral, and he didn't know we were coming. You know, we just showed up. Now, this guy, we've been friends, like, forever. He, we were college roommates. Uh, we started playing Little League baseball together. When we were probably six, seven years old. Uh, you know, we we just been buddies forever. He's a circuit judge, and I'm a preacher. No one saw that coming. You know, maybe a prison ministry because we were incarcerated, but no one saw that coming. And so we showed up at his funeral, uh, at his father's funeral. Now, years before, my friend, his wife, my friend is Mike, his wife Paula passed away. And she was 26 when she died. She died of, uh, of cancer. Very hard, tough time. I, I, I stood with him during that time. Uh, Tara and I loved both Mike and Paula. And they had a daughter, Mike and Paula had a daughter named Jennifer. When Jennifer died, uh, Jennifer, uh, Paula died when Jennifer was just a little bitty tiny girl. Well, we saw Jennifer at the, at the funeral for her grandfather. And we hadn't seen her in a long time. I mean, a long time. And she really didn't know us, but she knew of us because of stories told and relationships that run deep. And we, Tara and I, talked with her, and she looked like Paula She talked like Paula. Her mannerisms, her gestures, her hand gestures, her facial, she's just like her mama. And we, we said that to her, you know, Jennifer, you're so much like your mother. And it made her smile because she didn't know her mom. But because of epigenetics, her mother was being manifest before us. And us sharing that with her just brought some warmth at a very sad time. And it just showed us the power of what God wants to do with us. He wants us to think like Jesus, see like Jesus, understand like Jesus, to to have the mind of Christ, that we might be different. And and guys, I I, I hate to say this, but so many times in growing up in church, it's about what you showed up to that made you spiritual. You know, if you come to Sunday morning, you're. You're halfway spiritual. You come Sunday night, you're really spiritual. You come to Wednesday night prayer meeting, you love Jesus. If you go to visitation, organized harassment, you really love Jesus. And it's what you showed up to. And I realized that was all about preachers getting people to come to something instead of Christ being built up in us that we might become the hope of the world that we might be so transformed that we love deeply and serve generously and give our lives away. We would measure our spirituality by the boxes we checked on our Sunday school offering envelopes, not by the transformation of our heart and the transformation of our behavior. So today I'm going to talk to you about spiritual growth. Really, what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? What does it mean to be transformed by the renewing of our our minds? You know, Paul wrote about this to the church at Colossae. And we're going to look at the book book of Colossians, chapter 3. We're just going to track down the first part of that. And we're going to talk about what does it mean to have spiritual epigenetics so that we, you and me, might look like Jesus, think like Jesus, speak like Jesus, hear like Jesus, have the mind of Christ so that we could be the hope of the world. Y'all ready for this? Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning and I pray that you will speak through me that it will not be my words or thoughts or opinion because what I have to say, what, even what I think is nonsense and noise but what you have to say and how you have to say it is really life and peace. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that you did not leave me as I was, but you were in the process of changing my life that I might be like you. And I pray this in your name, amen. Now I wanna say this to you because I want you to hold on to it. God would never ask you to become something without the indwelling power of his Holy Spirit helping you to become that. That's how loving he is. He's not gonna say, become like Jesus, good luck. So I'm going to do that. He's going to say, I'm going to fill you with my spirit. I'm going to work in the deep places of your heart. I'm going to expose your hurts, your habits, your hangups. I'm going to drag you through the briar patch of adversity because I want you to become like me. And I'm going to empower you that you might be. Power you might be. So here's some thoughts that you can just track along with me in your, in your notes. Spiritual growth always starts with transformation. Now, transformation is an interesting word. And I use this word, it's all throughout Scripture, but I use this word really with the Greek meaning. And the Greek meaning is transfiguration. That's what it means. To be really, uh, when Paul said in Romans 12, and be renewed by the transformation of your minds, he was using the same word there of the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain. When Jesus took on his glorious state in front of Peter, James, and John, and Moses and Elijah, were standing there with with Peter, James, and John, and Jesus, and they saw Jesus in his transfigured state. And what Jesus says, I want you to look like me. That when people see you, they see me. When they hear you, they hear me. I got a long way to go. What about you? And I need to be aware, self-aware enough, that God wants to transform me so that I might be like Jesus for your benefit. Let's look at this. Since you've been raised to new life in Christ, this is uh, Colossians 3.21, it's up on the screen. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, on the realities of heaven. Now, when some people read this, y'all look at me a second. When some people read this, they said, well, some people are so heavenly-minded; they're no earthly good, and we have such a false view of heaven. We think heaven is you sit on the cloud and play a harp, uh, or you know. But I want to tell you something: heaven is more real than real is right now, because right now is covered in a shroud of sin and selfishness, and heaven is uncrowded, and the the, the scales have been removed. Now I asked this in the first service. Uh, It's it's an older crowd. And I said, how many in this this crowd have had cataracts? Hands went up everywhere. So I'm going to ask this, how many in this crowd have had cataracts? Raise your hand. Okay, there's a few hands. My mother had cataracts when she was seven years old and had them removed. It's unbelievable. There's a story that goes with that, of course. my My mother never could see very well. But now she's in heaven. She sees very well. You've been restored. See, the cataracts of sin cloud our eyes to the reality of heaven, cloud our eyes to the reality of this earth, cloud our eyes. You see, because I am selfish, I can't see how I've hurt Tara. Because I'm selfish, I can't see how my words have diminished someone else. Because I'm selfish, I can't see how I'm not dealing with reality, so I have unfounded fear. And I worry. Anybody else worry? I see a few of those timid hands. Some of y'all worried I was going to talk about that, right? (laughs) My daddy said this at 88 years old. Most of the stuff you worry about doesn't happen, and if it does, it doesn't amount to anything. And the Lord says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Now, don't worry about anything. What is what is? It's like like nothing. I can't worry about anything. I can't worry about whether Texas wins a football game. Waste of time. Now, the Texans, on the other hand, the Wimberley Texans, do you guys have a sign or symbol or something you do? Like, oh, two fingers up. Only one person knows it. Is that true? Is that what you guys do? It's not river bats or like that or horns no okay that okay Texans worry about nothing worry about nothing everything in prayer petition so I have to get my mind fixed on the realities that heaven is more real than this earth but that doesn't mean to be so heavenly minded you're no earthly good where Christ sits in the place of highest honor at God's right hand think about the things of heaven not the things of earth So what Paul is saying here to us today, and I love how the Bible, the Word of God is living and active and it's speaking to us today. He said, you know what, guys? You're going to worry and you're not going to have the right perspective until you're born again, until there's been a transaction in your heart, in your life, until you've been renewed, until literally the Holy Spirit has conceived in you a new life that you're going to miss it you're going to live life with cataracts and you're going to live life with worry and you're going to live life with hurts and habits and hangups and when I'm bored again when Christ moves into my life when I have this transformation of my life then my vision ought to shift and it's not some pie in the sky sweep by and by but it's the reality of the Lordship of Christ that Christ is, is in me, for me, through me, above me, beside me, below me, that Christ is my all in all, that I've literally been covered by Him, and that He removes the pull of cultural Christianity that says it's about what you look like to the realities of spiritual transformation that I have been made new, that I've been covered by God in His righteousness that I've been transfigured into a new person. And that Christ is then worthy of my whole life. And he wants my whole being. All that I do, then all that I am, and all that I speak, and all that I, everything. Jesus, I'm yours. And it's that transfigured mind which stops to call me to shift my thinking, to think that it's all for Jesus that I've literally been covered by him. I've been transformed by him. But I have to be careful because I can become arrogant at that. I can become spiritually elite in that. Where I look at my life and say, yeah, man, compared to Jonathan, I'm like Martin Luther. I'm awesome. <laughs> and it's spiritual elitism. And instead of looking at myself in Christ, I want to compare myself to other Christians or other non-Christians or, or other people. And it's just, and no, just says shift your thinking, shift your thoughts. And, um, and maybe sometimes we have behaviors that we think are spiritual, but they're not. They're just creepy. And some of y'all have been to churches where There was behaviors that, they they called them spiritual, but they're just creepy. You know, I'm I'm gonna pick on one of them. One of them is this, like, word of knowledge stuff. People come to me, I've had people come to me, oh, Pastor God, I've got a word from you. I'm going, okay. And they'll tell me something that's crazy, and I'm going, thanks. Well, the Lord told me to tell you. I'm thinking, I talked to him this morning. He said nothing about this to me. (laughs) Read the word, journaled, and, you know, there's some things about encouragement, discernment but some of this stuff my grandmother actually is my yes yeah, my grandmother when I was bored she looked at my head looked at the top of my head where when I used to have hair and she said this baby he's gonna preach the gospel on three continents because I had three cowlicks that's creepy y'all but I actually have preached the gospel on four continents and now I have no hair so whatever Hair today, gone tomorrow, right? Okay. But I am growing hair on my ears and it's awesome. Soon I'll be coming over from here all the way over there. That is creepy, okay. And when we get into spiritual leaders, and we forget that we're supposed to be like Christ, that what happens is knowledge puffs up. But love does what? Builds up. That when I have the realities of heaven soaking in my whole life and I think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth, and God pours into me, then then God can use me to dispense love. You see, I'm dead. You're dead to the old you. Dead. Dead. Listen to what Paul said. For you died to this life and your life, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ whose your real life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. In other words, you take your old life, when you come to Jesus, when, you, when you're transformed and he's making you like him, he takes your old nasty life and he covers you with Jesus. You're covered with Jesus. So I'm gonna give you perhaps the greatest spiritual analogy you've ever heard right now. It's going to be huge. That was by Donald Trump interpreter. Not good. I won't do it again. Okay. You guys like M&M's? Do you like peanut M&M's better than the regular M&M's? The majority of us. Now, those of you with peanut allergies, you get swole up and it's weird. And we like to feed them to you to watch the fun and EpiPen at the right last minute. But <laughs> <clears throat> that's another game we used to play when I was a kid. Anyway. A peanut M&M is a great theological truth of what God has done with you. You're the peanut, and Jesus is the chocolate. He's done covered you and sealed you with the Holy Spirit and a candy shell. So when you eat a peanut M&M, it is an act of worship, (laughs) y'all. Now, had I been thinking of, I would pass out peanut M&Ms to everybody today, right? And you that have anaphylactic shock, we could have had a healing service. It'd been Awesome! But that's the truth, that God has hid you. That is such nonsense. Anyway, God has hid you in Christ. He's covered you with his righteousness. Now, we could track covering throughout Scripture. When when God uh, punted Adam and Eve out of the garden, he covered them with animal clothing, showing that he was going to cover them in his righteousness with salvation. It was a precursor to Jesus covering us with his righteousness. And then you you read about the prodigal son when he comes home. The father says, bring a robe, bring bring, uh, sandals, bring a ring. And what he's saying is, I'm gonna take this robe, I'm gonna take off your filthiness, and I will cover you with my righteousness. In the book of Revelation, you see the, the myriad standing before the, for the Lord, and they're, they're singing, Holy, holy is the Lord, the Lord God Almighty, what we sang earlier today. And they're clothed in the garments of righteousness garments washed white in the blood of the Lamb. They're covered with these garments. And what Jesus does, he takes who you are. He transforms you and he covers you with his righteousness. So, when people see you, they don't see you, they see Jesus. And God wants to transform your life in such a way that you have such a deep level of spiritual epigenetics that you are hidden with Christ, hidden in Christ, in God, that you are covered by him. And this is about the glory of God. Reveal in your real life. This is your real life. Your real life is not where you go to school, not your circle of friends, not your followers on social media. Your real life is key Jesus. That is your real life. And your real family is the family of God who've all been covered in righteousness. Look at your neighbor right now and say, Thank God He covered you. Yeah. And it's true that he has covered us with his righteousness and he's made us new. For you died in this life. You died to yourself. Paul said this to the church in Galatia. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who, who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm crucified with Christ. I don't live anymore. Christ doesnt me. Be. And because I've been hidden with Christ in God, that He's given me His glory, and this is, this is about my life shifts to making Jesus famous. and it's not about me. and spiritual growth is about showing the world what God could do with a broken, messed- up life that I literally become a trophy of grace. So I want to take you on a trip, okay, so y'all, y'all come go with me, all right? We're going to go into Arlington, and we're going to the house that Jerry built, Cowboy Stadium. And uh, so we walk in and we look in the rafters. I've never been there, so I don't even know if this is true or not. I know there's there's the ring of honor and there's some names up there. Emmett Smith, he's up there. Troy Aikman, he's up there. Um, Drew Pearson, he's up there. Bob Lilly, he's up there. I started doing this the first service. People started shouting out names. Michael Irvin. He's up there. Um, Roger Staubach. Thank you, guys. See, they're over there going, Roger Staubach, Roger Staubach, Roger Staubach, Roger Staubach. Roger the Dodger, Staubach. He's up there. Others up there. And we say, wow, these are great cowboys. Won't tell you something. Hanging in the rafters of heaven is you. Because God says, look, in my trophy of grace, look, look, look what I've done. Look what I've done. Hell bound. Degenerate. Broken and messed up. Vile. I saved them. Transformed them. Put my nature in them. Redeemed them. Called them a son. I called them a daughter. It's not who they were. It's who they're going to be. And it's not how they started. It's how they finished. And look what I've done. Look what I have done with you and it's not about a trophy that hangs in a in a foyer but it's about a life that's lived all for Jesus hmm. that means my behavior changes i stop gossiping i stop being the center of drama I said that over here because that's where all the young folks live. Because we know old folks don't do drama, they do it perfectly. You learn drama from your mama of drama. Okay. Um, I stop telling lies, I, I stop covering up stuff. I, 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 I let the addictions that I have be broken, I let the hurts I have be healed. I take the miseries of my life and I leverage them for ministries. I take the messes of my life and I allow them to become a message of grace because I've been transformed that I'm dead to my old self and so I live differently paul says so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality and purity lust and evil desires and then I saw this this morning as I was kind of going over these notes and this just jumped out at me. Out at me it said, "Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is idolater. What? Worshiping things of this world because of these sins. The anger of God is coming. You used to do those things. You used to do those things. You know that's why I hate to go to high school reunions. Because yeah, you used to. You're a preacher now, but you used to." <laughs> never was bad as they remembered or fun as you thought it was you used to do these things when your life was still apart from the world part of the world but now it's time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior and slander dirty language don't lie to each other for you've stripped off the old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds really yeah really this was written to a people that moral depravity or immorality or sexual impurity was common. So the way they went to church. They worshiped by doing deviant sex acts. That's the way they worshiped. Uh, Would you study Greek mythology in high school, they don't tell you that stuff. That at the end of every theatrical production, there was a live sex act that happened on the stage. They didn't tell you about that. Are the bathhouses workplaces for bathing? They didn't tell you that. Oh, you find that out when you start studying the realities of anthropology. Paul was riding to a culture where immorality was normal, and he was setting a new standard. And so I get that. Immorality morality comes from Jesus, it doesn't come from society. Society society will not give you morality. It's God who puts moral code in our heart. Read Romans one and see what it says there. There's a list here of immorality and greed. But something I wrote this morning, I wanna read to you. And if I am selfish, then I'm an idolater. The deeper truth here is that I must deal with my inner greed. I have to deal with my inner greed. I am self-centered by nature, and so I have to put on the new nature. I can't use the old nature as an excuse for my bad behavior. I have to put on the new nature. I have to intentionally agree and align myself with God and allow the power of the Holy Spirit to transform me. I must, through the power of the Holy Spirit, become self-aware of my greed, repent of it, and ask him to deliver me from it. My biggest problem is me. The biggest problem in mine and Tara's marriage is me. I'm a sinner. She is too, but I like to bring it up. It's true. And I need to be self-aware enough through the power of the Holy Spirit to allow God to transform my mind. And I can't do that without the knowledge of his word and community with you. I need you to become like Jesus. And you need me to become like Jesus so that we can become like Jesus together. Tom's doing a training this afternoon about groups, why? Because we want leaders who help others become like Jesus. Tom Gillespie, Tom, raise your hand so people see you right there. He's our senior associate pastor of groups of groups, almost of growth, but it's groups and growth. Isn't it? it's groups, growth, growth. He's it's growing on me, Tom. He's our pastor of growth, Yeah, so he's about spiritual transformation, about trans- spiritual transformation. So, put on the new nature. New epigenetics. Put all the new nature so be renewed as you learn how to your Creator, to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and He lives in all of us. Christ is all that matters. So it's the intentionality of putting on Christ because he's covered me. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded every day that I belong to Jesus. So this is what I do. I read his word, and I pray, and I journal to be reminded that I belong to Jesus. I'm involved with a group every week to be reminded that I belong to Jesus. I intentionally put myself into a church family because a Christian without a church family is a spiritual orphan and so, so I become like Jesus I do these things so that God would use me to be the hope of the world He could use us to be the hope of the world I allow the Holy Spirit to renew me to remind me and I need to tell you about it over and over and over one of the things I loved about Paul is that he kept telling this story about how he got saved on the Damascus Road over and over and over. He could quit keep telling, talking about it. Talking about it. Um, this past week, Friday it was, our awesome staff did a staff retreat. And we, uh, we spent the day in Marble Falls, uh, a condo up there. And... Uh, we planned out all of 2018. We mapped out all the message series, all the big events. We did all that. Y'all going, oh, you did all that? What if the Holy Spirit changes? That's fine. But I think God blesses preparation as well. And we prayed through We decided next year is gonna be the year of hope. It's not just getting in there, but we were talk about hope because I think Wimberley needs hope. I think we need hope. I think our, I think our nation needs hope. Don't you? And so we're gonna talk about hope. We're talk about hope for, us, hope for you, hope for us, hope for us as a church, and how we bring hope to our culture. That's kind of the four big segments of the year next year. I'm excited about it. I came home and I showed it to Tara. Tara said this, you preach that, you're gonna need some new stuff. She's been listening to me preach for 36 years. And Leroy and Drew, y'all are here, you're going... He needs some new stuff. He preached that to us at Parkway 10 years ago. But I can't help it that the old stuff's still good stuff. But she was referring to my jokes. (laughs) Not my sermons. And here's the deal, y'all. God wants us to be new. He wants us to be his. And he wants us to become like Christ together and this little church in Wimberley, Texas the middle of nowhere can literally shake eternity because we choose to be like Christ so I'll leave you with this it's not how you start it's how you finish And to put on the clothing of Christ and set aside these old things and set aside and to lean into these new things And let Christ be the center of you, of you, so that you can have new epigenetics to become like Christ. And today, we're gonna have communion together. And this is a symbol of us belonging to Christ. I can't think of a better weekend than the weekend we teach on spiritual growth than to take communion. Now, I wanna say this to you. I wanna say it in love. If you've not trusted Christ, this is not for you. But if you have trusted Christ, this is for you. You say, well, I'm not a member here. That's okay. We practice open communion. We let anybody who trusts in Christ have communion with us. We, that's, this is a decision between you and God. But I'll say this to you. If you, not try, if you haven't trusted Christ, guess what? Today's your day. You can give your life to Jesus today. And maybe this is your first act. As a symbol of belonging to Christ. Take communion. Take a communion. So today's a day to eat the bread and drink the cup and proclaim that Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, I'm yours. Let's pray together.